Amen. Thank you so much. Praise God. If you have your smartphone and want to go ahead and follow along with the, uh, the sermon uh, slideshow, you can go ahead and open the Version Bible app, and in the lower right-hand corner, press More, and uh, my thing is, and then press Events halfway down, and then Cassaview Assembly of God, and you'll find all of today's uh, announcements as well as the uh, slideshow for today's Bible study there as well. Amen. In your bulletin, if you'll go ahead and pull out one of the inserts from the bulletin, the one that says Sermon Notes Outline, if you can find that. Today might be a little challenged because we have so many different inserts. Amen. I found it. There it is. Sermon Notes Outline. Praise God. And we'll get into our study. I don't know how far we'll get into our study today. I know we've had welcoming new members and so forth. We'll just see if, if it gets a little late. <clears throat> uh, someone will wave at me and we'll... We'll, uh, we'll wind it down and maybe make this a two-part message if we need to. Amen. I want to talk to you for a few moments about becoming a spiritual risk taker. And we'll get into that in just a moment. I'd like to begin with a little bit of humor just to get your attention. And uh, let me turn on. There we go. One more time. I keep pushing. There it is. My finger is quicker than the slideshow. There you go. I heard about two neighboring pastors... And uh, they were good friends, and Emmett pastored a, uh, a black church, and Fred pastored a, a Caucasian, predominantly Caucasian church, but they would meet together for coffee regularly, and they always had a friendly debate, and inevitably, Emmett would say, you know, I believe Jesus is black, and uh, Fred said, no, 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 you're wrong, Emmett, he said, Jesus is white. He had to be white. And so they would uh, go back and forth. And they debated that for a long time. And Fred was certain he was white. And Emmett was certain, just as certain, that Jesus was a black man. And so, as fate would have it, they both died on the same day. And so they rushed to the pearly gates. They can't wait to find the answer. And so they inquire. And St. Peter is there, and he said, St. Peter, you've got to help us. We've been debating this all of our lives. Tell us, is Jesus white or is Jesus black? Now, at that time, Jesus walked up and said, Buenos dias, senores. <laughs> Amen. I don't know what he is, but I do know Scripture says when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we continue the series of messages from our theme, Growing Together. Growing Together. This year, the Lord has laid upon my heart two words, Growing Together. And we're focusing on how to grow spiritually in our walk with God, the spiritual growth of the believer. And today's message I've titled, Becoming a Spiritual Risk Taker. How many of you want to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord? Amen. Well, one of our problems is that we easily become stuck in a rut. And what are you talking about? I'm talking about stuck in a spiritual rut. And uh, quite honestly, if you ask most people, are you satisfied with where you are in your spiritual journey? Most people will say, no, I'm not satisfied. 
Uh, and so most people are not satisfied with where they are. They want more of God. Hello. Uh, and many would say, I feel like I'm plateaued, Pastor. I feel like I'm just kind of coasting along. I'm just kind of stuck where I was. And I don't know that I'm really making a lot of progress. And you may wonder, well, what, is, what are you talking about stuck in a rut? Well, we studied this a couple of weeks ago, I think, and it's basically when we do the same thing day in, day out, month after month, week after week, year after year, we can say that we are stuck in a rut. Well, in order to get out of ruts, it's going to call for us to have a greater, I'm talking about spiritual ruts, not just ruts out in a, a muddy road. I'm talking about a spiritual rut here. In order for us to get out of the mundane, the routine, the same old thing that we've always done, we're going to have to have a greater level of faith. Amen. To get out of the boat and to walk on the water is going to take some faith. Amen. And so we are satisfied to be boat people. There are not a whole lot of people jumping out of the boat to walk on water. And we're satisfied in our comfort zones, but if we're going to do something great for God, something that is beyond our own natural ability, we're going to have to have faith. We're going to have to be willing to get out of our comfort zones. And I'm talking about taking a spiritual risk. God wants us to move to a deeper level in our worship. God wants us to move to a higher level in our praise. He wants us to go deeper in our intercessory prayers. God wants our faith to grow from little faith to great faith to greatest faith or greater faith. Amen. And it's so easy for us to just stay right where we are and just stay in our ruts, if you will, stay in the boat, stay in our comfort zones. And we learned last week that when the Lord begins to move upon our hearts and we get ready to move out of our ruts, many times, oftentimes, He will bring a storm. He'll bring a trial. He'll bring a test. He'll bring adversity. How many of you can identify with a trial or test or adversity in your life? Amen. It's not designed to defeat you. It's designed to get you out of your rut. The adversity will help you to learn to pray more deeply. Hello. It will help you to get on your knees. Amen. When things are going great, you're just coasting along. Everything's good. But man, when adversity comes, you are on your knees. You are begging God. You are calling upon the Lord. Amen. And the Lord knows that we need the adversity for us to grow spiritually. If it was our choice, we would not choose the adversity. But to get out of a rut, we have to be willing to become a risk taker. A risk taker for God. I'm not talking about being a daredevil and walking on a tight wire over some river or something like the Walendas did. That's a different kind of risk taking. I'm talking about spiritual risk taking. Now, let's talk about, for a few moments, the importance of becoming a risk-taker. I heard this humorous story of a lieutenant and a private in the military, and they were traveling, and they took the train. And when they got on the train, 
they sat down at seats that were facing each other, and there were two seats, and they were seated in two seats, and the two seats seated to them were open. And they noticed that uh, before the train took off, a very, very attractive young lady that was accompanied by her mother was coming down the aisle, and boy, they were checking her out. (laughs) And lo and behold, they sat down in the two seats facing the lieutenant and the private. Whoa! I mean, they were elbowing each other and saying, wow. And immediately, the lieutenant and private, they introduced themselves to the young lady first, obviously, and then to her mother. And the young lady and the private were quite taken by each other, and they were seated across from each other, and they carried on this conversation for a period of time. And, oh, he just was enamored with every word that she would say. And and so it just so happened that the train went through a tunnel. And as it did, the train car became pitch dark for a minute. Oh my. And in the darkness, there was a kiss and a slap. The young lady thought, at least I got a kiss from the private, even though my mother slapped him. The mother thought... I sure am proud of my daughter for slapping that private, for trying to kiss my little girl in the dark. And the lieutenant thought, I can't believe it. The private gets the kiss and the mother slaps me. (laughs) And the private thought, woohoo, I got a kiss from the girl of my dreams. And I've been wanting to slap that lieutenant's face for months. Amen. See, he was willing to take a risk. And he reaped the reward. Well, the fact of the matter is that we all take risk in life. To laugh is to risk appearing a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk having to get involved in their lives To expose your feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas and dreams before people is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved. To live is to risk that one day you will die. To hope is to risk despair. And to try is to risk failure. We all have risk in life. Risk must be taken. Because quite honestly, the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, and gains nothing. They may stay in their comfort zones to avoid suffering and sorrow, but they cannot learn and feel and change and grow and love or live life to the fullest unless they take risk. A person who risks nothing lives in fear. He lives in fear and they are a slave to fear. And they forfeited their freedom to live and enjoy life. Only the person who risks is free. Free from fear. I've seen it in institutions. 
I've seen it in churches and I've seen it in denominations. Churches, institutions, and denominations usually go through three stages and you see it repeated time and time again. They begin their work as risk takers. They were church planters. They were on the front lines. They wanted to grow the church and they're taking risk and they're doing all these things to grow the church. But when the church gets a certain size, they stop doing those things and they become caretakers instead of risk takers. And ultimately, they end up as undertakers. And it happens in denominations where a denomination will be have a period of growth for a number of years and then it plateaus. And they don't have growth for years and then it starts to go down. And that's the normal history of almost every denomination. And if it wasn't for the Hispanic growth in the assemblies of God, we would be going down as well. Most of the growth in the Assemblies of God Church here in the United States is because of the influx of the Hispanic Church. And, well, glory adios. Amen. <laughs> and friends, I'm convinced that each of us individually and our church is not immune from this either. We need to be ready and willing to take risks that please God rather than stay in our comfort zones and continue to be caretakers or ultimately we'll end up as undertakers. Oh my. Do you realize that risk-taking actually should be an indispensable part of the Christian walk? I'm talking about spiritual risk-taking. When we look back over the history of the church from biblical days through the Middle Ages as well, we find all kinds of individuals who were willing to take a risk to do what God wanted them to do, what God was calling them to do. They had great courage to take stand. Early in your Bible, around Genesis chapter 6, the church, uh, you know, the, 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 the world, if you will, was full of people who were offending each other. It was full of sin, everybody doing whatever they wanted to do, and God was ready to wipe everything off and eventually he did but there was one fellow that got God's attention you remember his name Noah and God told him hey you know I love what you're doing Noah you're faithful to me I want you he gave him a project remember what the project was build an ark and for a hundred years he worked at building an ark and during this period of time, he's getting ridiculed. He's being made fun of. What are you doing, Noah? You know, man, you're a crazy man. Why did this never rain before? What, what are you doing here? Ridicule. The prophet Jeremiah was willing to take a risk. And as a result, he was imprisoned. And he was lost his family and friends and finances. In the New Testament, there was a fellow named John the Baptist. He got a haircut, right? <laughs> <laughs> right here. <laughs> I mean, because he was willing to take a risk and say what was right. Stephen became the first martyr of the church because he was willing to testify to what he saw in heaven. The heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Amen. And m most of the apostles gave their lives, their very lives, to share the good news. I've often considered myself somewhat of a risk taker. 
although I'm not a daredevil by any stretch of the imagination. My wife says I am when I drive, but I choose. (laughs) And I'm not making light of risk-taking. Actually, it's a necessary part of life because without risk-taking, nobody would ever leave their house. I mean, we'd be afraid to, when you get in your car to come wherever you're going, let me tell you, you're taking a risk today. I mean, we live in a crazy society and people don't drive like they should drive. Without taking risks, no young man would ever put his ego on the front line to ask a young lady out. Just to be told no the majority of the time. I'll never forget 45 years ago, getting up the courage to ask Marcia out on that first date. Oh, I was shaking with fear. It was such a frightening thing. It took great courage on my part. I fumbled through that phone call. It was horrible. <laughs> I said, Marcia, I said, uh, you know, this is Marcus from the church. And, and uh, I got your number from so-and-so. And, and uh, one of the youth have conned me into buying a ticket to their high school play. I bought two tickets. She said, well, are you wanting me to recommend somebody for you to take? Are you asking me out? (laughs) No lie. I mean, that's true. I said, well, I I was kind of hoping you'd go with me. And I'm so glad she took a risk and said yes. Amen. Because I have reaped the reward of a beautiful wife because I was willing to take a risk. He who risks nothing gains nothing. Amen. Moving on. Of course, like anything else, there are many people who take risk-taking to the extreme. And we would call them daredevils. One of those was Annie Taylor. Annie Taylor, in 1901, decided that she wanted to take a risk. And she got in a barrel... And there was an anvil tied below the bottom of the barrel to keep it upright. And she was the first person, Annie Edison Taylor, to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. October the 24th, 1901. And the newspaper said it this way. Taylor is the first human being to go over Niagara Falls and live. And live. Wow. Risk takers, do you know what the famous last words of, of many risk takers are? The famous last words of many risk takers are simply these. Hey guys, watch this. <laughs> last words they ever said, watch this. Oh my. Well, you have to take a risk to get out of the rut, the spiritual rut. And, and uh, I've been to Alaska a couple times and, and really enjoyed and, and the weather and so forth of it. There is a, a highway called the Alaska Highway. And on a good day in the winter, you can navigate this highway. And there's a sign on that highway that simply says, Choose your rut carefully, because you'll be in it for the next 200 miles. Oh, my. And a lot of people live their lives kind of like that sign, especially in the spiritual dimension of their life. They accept whatever rut they're in and just stay there. 
And they never grow, never grow in their prayer life, never grow in stewardship, never grow in uh, the depths of using spiritual gifts or increasing their... They're just satisfied, just stay in the rut. How sad. How monotonous. Let me tell you, the Christian life is to be an adventure. It's called the abundant life for a reason. Amen. We need to get out of our spiritual ruts. And for that to happen, we've got to become a spiritual risk taker. Now, for the next few moments, I want to talk to you from the wisest man on the face of the earth. At that time, his name was Solomon. And he was the wisest man. The Lord gave him wisdom beyond any other man. And his writings are significant in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. In verse number 1, he says, Cast your bread upon the water, for you will find it after many days. And what he's talking about is merchants. The merchants in his day. They would put their merchandise on boats, and it would go on the water, and then many days later, they would return with the profit from the merchandise. But in Solomon's days, the navigation of ships was very treacherous. And there were many ships that were shipwrecked. Pirates were another issue that were coming onto the scene, and cargo would be stolen. Ship captains were notorious for not being honest and untrustworthy, and there certainly wasn't a Lloyd's of London insurance policy on the vessel. And so if you had a loss, you just suffered the loss. And to top it off, there was a long, long wait to see if you were going to make profit when the vessel returned. Now, why would merchants take these risks? Well, because the reward was great. And by using this illustration in our text of Ecclesiastes chapter 11 of a merchant casting his bread upon the water and that it would return after many days, Solomon is encouraging his readers to be risk takers. Not only does scripture encourage risk taking, but it encourages high risk taking for God. Now, immediately we protest and we think of all the reasons in the world we're told not to be a high risk taker. But understand this, Solomon is using an illustration from commerce, from a merchant casting their bread on the water that it would return. He's using that in the material world to give a spiritual application. Now, how do you know that, Pastor Marcus? Well, because I've read the rest of the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And in in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, there are five spiritual principles for risk-taking. And I'm going to cover at least one of those five in the next few moments. And then we'll see where we are. The first principle for spiritual risk-taking is simply this. Give over and above expectations. Give over and above expectations. We should become a risk taker in our generosity. Now, how do you, where'd you get that at? Okay, let's look at the verse, verse 2. Solomon says, not only should you cast your bread on the water 
And then it would return after many days. He says in verse 2, give, hello, give, portions to seven, yes, to eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And so basically, our thought would be, well, since the future is uncertain, since we don't know what's going to happen, then we need to hoard everything. We need to keep everything and keep it in the bank and pile it up because we don't know what we need to save for a rainy day. Well, I think the Bible teaches stewardship, and you do need to have a saving account. You need to save. But it also teaches being generous toward God. Conventional wisdom teaches us to save for a rainy day, but Jesus says in the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, He says that we are not only to lay up treasure on earth, but we're to lay up treasure in heaven. Amen. And He says in verse 21, This is how it will be to whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And so, if you hoard what God has blessed you with, and you keep it to yourself and you don't share with others, then you've totally missed the point of what being rich toward God is truly all about. And notice in our text, Solomon said, give a portion to seven. What's that about? Seven in the Bible is a number of significance. Yes or no? Yes. Some call it God's number. Seven. Seven is the days of week, days of creation, seven days, seventh day he rested. And so it's God's number, seven. It's the day of completion. All of creation was completed, and on the seventh day he rested. Praise God. And so seven is the biblical number of completion. In other words, you would be doing what was expected of you to give a portion of your goods, to give a portion to... Seven would be what would be expected of you. Amen. But notice what Solomon says. Give, give even beyond seven. Give to eight. In other words, he's saying take a risk. Go beyond what's expected. Cast your bread upon the water. Go over and above in this area of generosity. There are many illustrations of this, and I want to share with you a story that illustrates beautifully Solomon's point. This is called The Rich Family in Our Church. It's an article and from Wit and Wisdom. From about 25 years ago, Eddie Ogan was the author, The Rich Family in Our Church. I want to read this to you for just a moment, and then we're going to bring this message toward a close. I'll never forget Easter of 1946. I was 14. My little sister, Ossie, was 12, and my older sister, Darlene, was 16. We lived at home with our mother. And the four of us knew what it was like to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my two older sisters were married and my two older brothers had left home. 
It was now a month before Easter, and the pastor in our tiny church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. Well, when we got home, we talked about what we could do. And we decided we could buy 50 pounds of potatoes, and we could live on those potatoes for a whole month. And this would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. Then, we decided that if we kept our electric lights turned out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene, my older sister, she got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible and and the both of us babysit for everyone we could. And for 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three potholders and we would sell those Three potholders for a dollar. We made $20 on potholders. That month was one of the best in our lives. Every day we counted the money to see how much we saved. At night we'd sit in the dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had maybe 60 people in the church. So we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday the pastor reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. Well, the day came, it was the day before Easter. My younger daughter, Ossie, and I, we we walked to the grocery store with all of our money. And the manager gave us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for all of our change. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene... We had never had so much money before. That night we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we didn't have any new clothes for Easter. Instead, we had $70 for a sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, the rain was pouring down. We didn't even own an umbrella. And the church was over a mile from our home. And it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene... She had cardboard in her shoes to fill the hose, and the cardboard got so wet it fell apart and her feet got wet. But we sat in church that day proudly. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having to wear their same old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes, and I felt so rich. When the sacrificial offering was finally taken, we were sitting on the second row of the church, and Mom put in the $10 bill. And each of us girls put in $20 each. And we walked home from church that day and we sang all the way home. At lunch, Mom had a surprise for us. She had brought, bought a dozen eggs and we had hard-boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up to our house in his car And mom went to the door and talked to the minister for a moment and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crimpled $20 bills and a $10 bill and 17 $1 bills. Mom gathered up the money and put it back in the envelope and we didn't talk. 
We just sat there and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to literally feeling like poor white trash. We kids, we had a happy life. We, had, we felt sorry for people who didn't have a mom like ours or a house full of brothers and sisters and other kids who were always visiting. We thought it was fun to share the silverware. You see, whether we got the fork or the spoon that night, we had two knives and we would pass the knife to whoever needed the knife. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I'd never thought we were poor until that Easter day. And I found out we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family. So we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress, my worn out shoes, and I, I felt embarrassed. I didn't want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade and at the top of my class of over 100 students in that school. I wondered if the kids at school knew that we were poor. I decided I could just quit school since I had finished the eighth grade and that's all the law required at that time. We all sat there in silence for a long time. And then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and we came home and no one talked much. Finally on Saturday, mom asked us, what do you want to do with the money? Well, what did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We never even knew we were poor. Well, when it came Sunday morning, we didn't want to go to church. But Mom said we had to. And although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in. And she only sang one verse that day. But at church, we had a guest speaker. It was a missionary going to Africa. And he talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of mud, sun-dried bricks. But they needed money to buy roofs for their church. He said $100 would put a roof on a church. And our minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. And mom reached into her purse and pulled out that envelope. And she passed it to Darlene. And Darlene handed it to me. And I handed it to Aussie. And Aussie put that envelope in the offering. And when the offering was counted, the minister announced it was a little over a hundred dollars. Well, the missionary was so excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from such a small, tiny congregation. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. And suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over a hundred dollars in the offering. We were the rich people in the church. Whoa! Hadn't the missionary said so? Absolutely. And from that day on, I've never been poor again. I've always remembered how rich I am because I have Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God. <laughs> Write it down. We are not rich because of the possessions we have. We are rich because of what we give away. 
Now, this is not only true of our financial resources, but it's true of our physical resources. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your talent, your abilities, the gifts and talents and abilities that you have to serve God. Don't hoard those things and keep them to yourself. Rather, use your gifts and abilities. Cast them as bread upon the waters and they will bring a reward back to you and to others. It will not return void. I'm stopping at this point. And uh, in a few weeks, I'll come back and share the rest of this message. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants to drive home this one point. And the one point is that we can be generous toward God. We can be generous toward God. As a pastor, we have had several missionaries that we support every month. We have about 40 or so missionaries, mission projects that we support every month. And it's because of your generosity in giving to missions over and above. You know, you give the tithe, which I guess is like Solomon said, give seven. But when you give the eighth, that's giving to missions. Amen. And I commend you. I thank you that we've been able to do that. But we have two missionaries that have come this past year. Uh, One of those is Brian Gomez. And going to Spain, Portugal, I believe. And we have another couple, uh, Jonathan, uh, I forget their last name. uh, But they're going to uh, Guinea, I believe, Guinea, West Africa. And uh, uh, he was raised in in, uh, Nigeria. And she was raised in uh, uh, um, Britain Shelley Teague or her parents. and, And they came through. In any event, they are waiting on us as a congregation to be able to give them monthly support because we, we've, hit, we've hit the cap. Whatever comes in, we give out. And for us to add these missionaries and monthly support, I need some risk takers who will be willing to give not only the seventh, but be able to give that eighth. Just give a little extra. Amen. If we give all, give a little extra then we'll have some resources to add these missionaries to our monthly support. Amen. But it's going to take stepping out of the boat in faith to give. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're learning how that we can grow spiritually. And one of the things that's going to be required is that we have to be willing to be more generous in our giving. And I pray, God, that we will grow as risk-takers in our giving. We'll be generous to God. And, Lord, we'll not only do what we can do, we'll go beyond that and do extra. And I just pray, Lord, I just put it out there, and I just pray, Lord, you'll speak to our hearts. We've had so many faithful saints of God through the years who have been givers to missions. But many of those saints are now in heaven. And uh, we've got to pick pick up the slack. We've got to... Spread the gospel around the world. We have missionaries who are ready to go, but they can't get there unless we respond. And I pray, Lord, that our church will become more generous than we have ever become before in spreading the gospel in missions. And, Lord, I pray that we'll step out and we'll do what we need to do to become a risk taker for God in this area.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Now, on the generally the first or second Sunday of each month, we will say today is Mission Sunday, and on that day, bring a special offering to give to missions. Amen. And I'm going to do more, and I encourage you to do more if you can. You, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know that I'll be able to come because of my health or whatever. Well, give Lify, live stream, mail it, whatever it is. Amen. And God will bless you for it. I believe that we're going to grow this year as we get out of our spiritual ruts. And one of those areas is going to be in the area of giving. Amen. Praise God. Will you stand with me, congregation? And we're going to worship the Lord today for a few moments.